to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening and making commitment to your learning. We hope you are doing well. We're your hosts. I'm Yvonne Brandenburg, joined by Jordan Porter. Hey, girl. I barely hear you. You're you can't hear so me? far away. Like I don't know if it was just like a, hey. A little high. <laughs> um, so Jordan is still cold, but still hopefully going to be warmer soon hopefully yeah and then um we're excited because today we're talking about uh rehabilitation and beyond medicine therapy and um as as the fates align in veterinary medicine i just happened to meet this person this week and i said hey you'd be great for the podcast and she said yes very happily so please welcome Sandy Gregory. And I'm going to try all of your initials. Um, It's a master's in education, MED, an RVT, a VTS in physical rehab. And then I don't know what CCRA is. So you're going to have to tell us what that means, but hello, Sandy. (laughs) Good morning and good afternoon, wherever you are, what time zone. (laughs) Exactly. I am so excited to be here. Like Yvonne was saying, it was just kind of fate and ironic how <laughs> we connected. And three days later, here we are doing our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, uh, I so coming on and taking, taking on this episode. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Sandy, um, we met because, um, she, she run, do you run or are you just an instructor? Cause like, I actually never asked. Are you perfect? Wow, you're, you're giving me big uh, expectations and kudos or whatever. But I'm an associate professor at Foothill College in Los Altos Hills, California. Yes. I've been there for, at this point, I lose track of how many years or, or time <laughs> anymore. It's just this lifetime. Right. I've been there, I think, 15 years at this oh, point. Wow. And I'm the one that has been there the longest, but I teach a Mm. a variety of classes to the vet tech students who ultimately take their VT&E and become veterinary technicians. And I love it. I love teaching. I love explaining how things work and seeing their eyes light up like, this is so cool. And I'm like, yeah. yes, it is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and it's, it's funny because I know like Foothill college, it's a, a community college close to us. And I hear amazing things all the time about the program, which is really cool. And you guys reached out to my work to have somebody speak. And I just was like, sure, I'll do it. Like, why not? And uh, so I got to talk, speak to with your students this week, which was really cool, just about veterinary medicine in general. And then um, I, think, I think towards the end, I was like, wait a second, Sandy, do you have a VTS? And she was like, I do in physical rehab. And I went, 
oh really <laughs> and then Jordan and I we we had two more left in our series and rehab was one of them and I went hey wait a second I just met this really really cool person and um I think I think if she's game we should have her on on the podcast so she can you know speak to things that Jordan and I know like this much about just just tiny you guys could see my fingers they're close but yeah so we were super appreciative that you at the last minute decided that you'd be cool jumping on a podcast and talking about rehab which you know is super important and more people should know about yes (laughs) exactly when did you get your vts in rehab four years ago okay Four years ago. Yes. Nice. And then what does CCRA stand for? CCRA is certified canine rehab assistant. There are a couple different certification programs out there. And this one is through the canine rehab Institute, which is based out of Florida, but they have classes that they will teach in Colorado and actually in other countries. So people from all around the world can get certified. And I will comment, it's a great, excellent program. But the one thing, it's not AVMA approved. So always, you know, all about what is the gold standard. And any VTS that you can have is a gold standard in that area for vet techs. So while I have that certification and it's very valuable, it doesn't fit under my umbrella of the gold standard of what is all that we need to know as veterinary technicians. And as the initials say, it's for canine, which means that you know about canine and Mm. for the VTS, you know about all animals. So I've done the physical rehab on, I'm currently working on goats. I work on rabbits. I have a couple Um. rabbit clients. And I'm actually the only technician in this whole area all the way up to Davis. I didn't realize somebody contacted me that heard about me through UC Davis, which is a veterinary school in California, if um, you're not aware of it. But my name is on there that if you have a problem with your rabbit, you go to me. (laughs) Wow, I didn't even know this. So I, I work with, I've worked with, harbor seals and I've done a little bit with giraffes. So that VTS allows me to do all of those animals. Yeah. The certification is only with canine. Interest. That's super interesting. I mean, and that's actually, that that's a very valid and good point for people to understand. Um, Cause I know I've seen some posts like in some of the Facebook groups, the tech Facebook groups about certifications or even just colleges in general. And it's really important to understand accreditation and, you know, what that certification means. Um, Because if it's not AVMA approved, it doesn't mean it's not a good program. It just means that you're not going to have the same weight to it as like an AVMA uh, approved thing. So, but that's really cool that the VTS can do all those different animals, which is amazing. Yes, exactly. And I think um, one thing you had mentioned in the class there, how, how many, how many VTSs of physical rehab are there currently? 
there are only 19 of us that have their VTS. And there's me and one other person, Kristen Hagler, who are in the state of California. And California wow. is huge. It's very large, but there's only two of us. And 19 in the United States, including Canada. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so there's not many of you. <laughs> no. And I think a big part of it is that people don't know about it. And yeah, every, everything that we do as veterinary technicians is so rewarding. But for me, I think this is extremely rewarding because there is nothing. I mean, even just thinking about it now, I, I just tear up because if I have a dog that I'm working with that just had disc surgery and was paralyzed going into surgery and I'm working with that dog and two weeks later, I get it to walk. I get yeah. it to walk because of the exercises that I've given. Okay. Yes, of course, the surgeon, <laughs> I will give them credit, right? <laughs> but <I'm> saying, <laughs> yeah, got to do that. But I'm saying that absolutely. I contributed to that dog's ability to walk. Or the yeah. ones that they have gone to their vet and it's an older dog and the vet is just saying, at this point, you can consider quality of life and you might have a couple mm. good months, but then they, the owners want more. So then they come to the a rehab facility. And an example is someone like me that I love the geriatric patients. I give me an older dog, older, anything over a puppy or kitten. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, they're, they're just so, um, it's so important to give them a quality of life, but those people that come in with their, their pet and I can give them information of how to change things in their house and their dogs live two more years. And I've mm. given them that chance to have more, time with their, their pet. And mm. we all have had pets that we just adore and love. And, you know, my soulmate was Raymond. I say he was my soulmate in a fur coat and I would go to the moon and back for him. Mm. And I wouldn't have had him that long had it not been for my experience with older dogs. And I've learned so much. He taught me so much. And I always like to share those things. That's awesome. Yeah. And I guess, um, before we get too far into it, um, you know, we're definitely going to dive into rehab, which is awesome. But, um, and then just a quick, before we dive into the episode, just, okay, we're going to talk about rehab. And then, um, as a reminder, we are planning on getting this episode approved for, uh, race approval. Um, but it's great for self-study. So if you're in school, if you're just, you know, maintaining your license, you can definitely do self-study and let's see, don't think we need to do anything else than that. And then I think we just need to dive in and, and kind of talk about definition of what physical rehab is. And then we'll talk about how, <laughs> how the rest of us that don't have VTS is how we can apply it to our practice. Cause I think, you know, we don't have to have a VTS, but we do have to understand what we're doing because for our patients, as well as for our clients. So, and Sandy's going to do this and make us all smarter. <laughs> I love it. That's the goal. Right. When we're talking about, I guess, physical rehab for pets or for animals, I'm not going to say pets because you mentioned giraffes and harbor seals and really cool things. Um, 
do you, I mean, like, what's the, the history behind it? And like, what, where do you see it going and, and all that fun stuff? Because, because I know nothing about it, <laughs> which is bad, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we know other areas of, of the field. I mean, there's so many parts to veterinary science it's mm. impossible to know everything about everything <laughs> that's, that's what I always say I want to teach you everything about everything but a little bit about the history the National Equine Therapist Association which was formed in 1987 to improve the standards for equine therapy was kind of the the start and the impetus for the the rehab mm. so since the mid 1990s applying rehabilitation techniques to animals have become so popular and such a, a standard of of improving their surgical outcomes or their quality of life mm. and there are more than 125 facilities pr that provide animal physical rehabilitation mm. in the united states there are constantly one's popping up all the time. So that number is just really lowballing it. Mm. And there are facilities that are standalone or they can be incorporated into say their surgical department or just their regular GP mm. clinics because more people are aware of the importance of it. And you can get more of this in certain areas, rural ones, you're not going to get as much of this. But right. the big, bigger cities, or especially like in the state of California, we have a, a number of them. Yeah. Well, and I would think too, it just like, unfortunately with most specialties, I feel like the more urban the area, one, you're going to have clients that are more willing to do it. Um, and two, you're going to have clients that have the finances to be able to do it because it's exactly. not, it's not free. Unfortunately, like we all, <laughs> we all wish that veterinary medicine was free. Well, if you're a pet exactly. owner, you do, if, if you work in it, we need to pay bills. Um, but you know, 125 facilities really, I mean, if, if you're thinking about it, that's not that many. Um, and so I think one of the reasons Jordan and I wanted to do this episode is because we wanted to make sure, you know, even if you don't live or work near a facility, you can at least still do some of those basics. Exactly. I will say with the rehab that I do, it's great that so many more people have pet insurance and mm. that is a way that they can absolutely get the rehab for their, their dog, cat or, or whatever, because it is covered under their insurance. And that really is what, what can determine if that pet is going to be able to do the rehab in so many cases, because Right. If it's post-surgical, they've spent, you know, five to $12,000. Depending uh, on where you live. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and they might not have the money to do something else. So in my case, I always give them at least a couple exercises that they can go home with, because I mm. think it's so important just to understand what the next steps are. Right. Right. That, that, I mean, that definitely makes sense. We have protected terms in the veterinary field. We mm -hmm. cannot call ourselves legally veterinary nurses. I know there's right. that push to, and we often do call ourselves that just when we're talking to people so that they have an understanding of what we do. But technically 
we are called veterinary technicians, just like the veterinary assistants cannot call themselves veterinary technicians. While they might have skills that sometimes are surpassing technicians in, in many areas, it's still that they have not gone through the schooling to be called that. Mm. Veterinarians that do chiropractic care, they can't call themselves chiropractors because that's a protected term for um, people that go to school to do chiropractic care on humans. So for them, it's veterinary orthopedic manipulation. So in that same sense, mm. we can't call ourselves physical therapists because that's a protected term only for humans that work on humans. So if mm. you have a human PT that has, well, not that you're gonna have an animal PT, that was stupid, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> but it, a person that's gone to PT school and then they get a certification, they can call themselves physical therapists for animals. So we, for that term, we can only call ourselves animal physical rehabilitationists. And there are certifications okay. and VTSs. There's the VTS for this. Again, every state is different as far as what their, their laws and their uh, regulations mm, are gonna yeah. say that people can do. Right. Title protection. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm all for that. I worked very, very hard to get my, just my license. Yeah. So somebody else that does not have that, I'm, I appreciate what you're doing, but you're not a veterinary technician yet. So I feel the same way that I did not go to PT school. So I'm mm. an animal physical rehabilitationist. So do you do, do you do the acronym APR? Oftentimes, yes. Yeah. I just say it just because <laughs> it makes more sense than giving the acronym because people are like, what is that? Right? <laughs> yes. That makes sense. I will make a comment about the AVMA. They have certain recommended and required skills that every technician needs to have when they graduate and become licensed. And there are actually some skills that we probably haven't thought about and we should have an understanding of because it is a required or recommended skill through the AVMA. So if you've been out of school for a long time, <laughs> you might not have had these available because it wasn't really known about them. So mm. right now, if you are going to school or if you recently graduated, uh, you might have had some of this, and I hope you've had at least a passive range of motion, which is a recommended, or I'm sorry, a required skill. There's also understanding of hydrotherapy and rehab exercise basics, which are recommended skills through the AVMA. And mm. I feel like the passive range of motion is so critical to proper healing for animals and people just think that it's, you bend the joint, you straighten the joint, you pen, bend it and you straighten it for, I don't know, let's say five to 10 times. Well, there's a little bit more behind it. And I encourage you guys to investigate through appropriate resources. And I've got a couple that we're gonna share with you guys that you can absolutely look for. 
but it really makes you more outstanding in your field if you have an understanding. Because I know when I've taught people how to do that, then they tell whoever they're working with in their clinic, like I had somebody specifically that knows about rehab, teach me how to do passive range of motion. And I would like to do it on this patient. And they're like, oh, sure, go ahead. So it's kind of a domino effect that the more you understand, mm -hmm. the more you can do this on patients and the more your veterinarians are going to look at you with more credibility because you have an understanding of how to do this. Mm, yeah. Well, and I, and I know that, um, like at my hospital, because we do have like surgery and stuff, I know that they always put passive range of motion on like the treatment sheet. And I don't know if everybody really understands fully what that means. And if our patients are truly getting passive range of motion, even though it's being signed off. Um, so that would be, that would be interesting to really look at those resources you have. And that'd be like a great CE for a clinic to do, right? Like a lunchtime CE, like everybody let's learn how to do passive range of motion. So we're all on the same page. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Food for that, thought on I, that one. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the definition truly of animal physical rehabilitation is a treatment of injury or illness to decrease, you're addressing it, pain and improve by means of physical corrective treatment. So that's a true definition of it. Animal physical rehabilitation requires diagnosis and prescriptive treatment of an animal patient and is a practice of veterinary medicine. So what this means is you are working with a veterinarian that they are diagnosing what the problem is and they are helping to make a prescriptive treatment for that patient specific to their needs. So while I have had many years of experience with, with this, I get the vet oftentimes will come to me and say, what do you think about this? And they kind of throw their hands up sometimes like, I don't even know what to think about this. I, that's why you do what you do and, and I do what I do. And I'm like, yes. It's a great partnership, yeah. but you need to get to that point because I've been doing it for however many years. I can't count it on, on two hands anymore, but <laughs> you, you get an eye for it. And I will tell you, I cannot drive and look at a dog walking along the street the same anymore. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have some kind of knee issue or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not the only one. I'm like, oh, oh. God, that really looks like a TPLO waiting to yes. happen. Stop it. <laughs> look away. Look so away. True. You're just like, ah. Yeah. Everybody out there is probably like, yeah. You, you might be driving right now and passing a dog that you want to say that to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the thing about the animal physical rehabilitation is that it doesn't include relaxation exercises, recreational mm -hmm. or wellness modalities. <clears throat> including but not limited to massage, athletic training, or exercise. So what does that mean? It means that any of you out there that is interested in maybe doing this, but you don't want to um, take the, the time you have the finances or the ability to do a VTS or get some certification, <clears throat> 
<clears throat> excuse me, you can definitely look into doing massage. That is something that, again, depending on your, your state, um, most of the states will allow anybody that has some, some initial training to do massage on a patient. So, mm. or, or any dog, um, cats, cats aren't usually into it as much. <laughs> um, they're like, um, no, I'm good. <laughs> right. You want to do what? Yeah. <laughs> so you can do massage, you can do athletic training or, or basic exercises that don't fall mm. under the umbrella of the animal physical rehabilitation. So wellness as a preventative medicine, if you're doing weight loss, any kind of conditioning for say agility or even working dogs has emerged into trends that don't fit under that umbrella. So you can do wellness exercises and I'm going to tell you some hmm. things. I don't have enough time to do a whole lot, but you at least get a, a little introduction to to my world and uh, what you can do to look into this a little bit more. Nice. I, I have to say the massage thing is super appealing because for me, it's super relaxing. I would massage my dog and like, I would get relaxed from doing it. So I can, yeah. I can imagine doing, doing massage as a, as a business, um, sounds appealing. <laughs> yeah, I agree that I would love to like, get better at something like that. Yeah. You could actually make it a business and I encourage people to look into it because mm. you can make your own time and say if you have four regular clients or maybe six and you rotate through them, that's yeah. a nice job on the side and you are just making such a difference with those animals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, Cause that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think a massage session, I, I don't think you're going to do harm with it. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess just like with any massage, there is the potential, but hopefully not. Um, and I don't know about you, but I always feel a lot better after a massage. So I'm sure, I'm sure dogs and cats do and their owners would see it. <laughs> oh my gosh. There are so many times when I'm massaging a dog and I'm done because I got to do other stuff. I'm like, okay, get up now. Seriously, and they're like, get up. Mm -mm. And they're snoring away. Like, God. <laughs> exactly. You're like, I did my job. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Yeah. So right now, as far as in the state of California, registered veterinary technicians performing animal physical rehabilitation must have additional training to provide the services under indirect supervision. So they do have to have mm. some kind of um, certification. If you are working at a vet with a veterinarian that has their own certification, which, okay, you ready for this? They do not have any certification that is approved by the AVMA. What? Wait, Only docking. you. No. Wow. Docking. They do not have any training that is approved by the AVMA. We do. That is. They don't. That is kind of a um. That's that's crazy to me. Mind it blowing. seems like that should happen. <laughs> yeah, I I know. Now, so okay, so let me see if I understand this correctly, because um, 
so as an uh, animal physical rehabilitationist, because I'm going to try to say it right. Um, (laughs) so you, the animal would have to have like an exam with a doctor first, right? And then they have to recommend physical therapy or physical rehab, sorry, physical rehab or therapy with a tiny T, not a big T. (laughs) Um, and then once that's been recommended, do they have to prescribe the specific modality or is that something that like with, with you, because you do have the experience, you have that conversation with a doctor and as long as the doctor approves it, like you're good or, or can you do things outside of like specifics of what the doctor says to do? Like, I, I just think of like, cause you talk about passive range of motion and like hydrotherapy and some of those things. And I'm sure there's, there's many more, but like, if you are in the middle of doing your session with this, this pet or this patient, I'm going to call it patient. Um, can you deviate at all? Or do you have to go with specifically like the A, B and C that the doctor said, does that make sense? Yes, it does. So it depends okay. on, <clears throat> it depends on, um, where you're at in your certification education. So if you are in RBT that has not had any uh, specific training, you need to go by those direct notes that the doctor has prescribed. Okay, that if makes sense. If you have some training, then you can go um, a little bit off under you know, say if you're doing a, a recovery for a TPLO, post TPLO, then there are some things that, okay, if this isn't working right, then you can do this. Because if, mm. if this isn't working, then you have a, um, an alternative exercise. Um, so there's that's normally under like the normal like protocols for like a tplo kind of thing got it okay okay and then you have a relationship with that veterinarian that they they know that you have an understanding of what's going on so Mm -hmm. you're not going to do something crazy and insane but you're going to do something that um you have like a flow chart of exercises or things that Mm. you can do to something. So you can okay. go off of that flow chart, but you can't do that if you don't have the formal education. Right. That totally makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yes. So you're always working under uh, the supervision of a veterinarian and it gets a little bit tricky too, if you're doing equine, because you're out in the field and you don't always have that veterinarian around you. So there mm. are variations to this depending on circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I know that equine medicine, there's a lot of strange gray areas <laughs> compared exactly. to dogs and cats. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The bottom line is you have to check with your state, what the regulations are, the requirements and know what that is. So you can work appropriately Practice within your your state law? Yes. 
There are four certifications out there and one of them is the Animal Rehab Institute. I don't have a whole lot of information or experience with that to give you enough information. Um, I do mm -hmm. know that they are good and they do have a certification that will really help you to become a, a therapist in this field. There is University of Tennessee and mm -hmm. theirs is more science-based where you have different modules. You can do it from your own home, which is nice, especially with COVID, um, but that's mm -hmm. the way it's always been for them. And then you do some in-person modules and then you get your certification. Mm. There's also Healing Oasis Wellness Center and theirs is wonderful. They have a number of different areas that you can look at wellness. They have a, a good massage program. They have the rehab. Uh, I like them. They, they know their stuff. Mm. Um, so does University of Tennessee. A lot of the research out there for rehab has come from the instructors that teach at University of Tennessee. And then there's mm -hmm. the Canine, Canine Rehab Institute, which is where I got my certification from. And I like them as far as their approach. And it's looking at the whole big picture. They have mm -hmm. great instructors. I was a, a TA for a brief period. So I also know mm -hmm. it from that side of it. So that's a certification. But again, none of these are AVMA approved. Bummer. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the only thing that is approved <laughs> by the AVMA um, under NAFTA, it is one of the 16 VTSs and it's through the Academy of Physical Rehabilitation for Veterinary Technicians, hence the yeah. APRVT. <laughs> and I am currently the vice president for the academy. Nice. Yes. And on their board member. <laughs> yes. On their um, exam committee. And it's kind of like eating peanuts. Once you start on one thing, then it's like, <laughs> okay, I'll do this too. And I'll do this. And you guys know how that goes. <laughs> we, we know exactly how that goes. <laughs> it's hard how to say that. Is, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. How long has your academy been? recognized it this is our fifth year oh nice so it's still new yes i don't know what is a five-year anniversary paper or something <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> the five-year anniversary gift is wood <laughs> wood, wood. I, oh, I, nice yeah every academy has their different requirements uh absolutely go to the aprvt website and look at their requirements. And I am always more than happy to answer any questions. Uh, my email mm -hmm. is kind of everywhere, but I know it'll <laughs> um, be posted and feel free to reach out to me. Okay. Yeah. We can definitely put that in the show notes if you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. Don't want to put <laughs> contact information if you're like, no, thank you. Um, now quick I'm question. Do you, to get your BTS in physical rehabilitation because I'm, I'm going to never say it right. 
do you have to work at one of the facilities or can you work like in a general practice? You, because I mean, you have to have the hours. So how, how, yes, because there are not many places out there that do rehab. Oh, many of the people that are getting certified are working in universities that have this. So the, the mm-hmm. hope and the, the idea is to have more and more people out there that do this. So either a board certified uh, veterinarian, or you can have a, a veterinary technician that has their VTS be their, their, the mentor mm-hmm. and, Uh, It is kind of hard if you can't get to a place that does this. So that makes it a little tough, but yeah, you know, there's, so it's possible, but it's going to be hard. Yes. If there's a will, there's a way. Right. (laughs) Yes. So true. Yes. I highly recommend if you're even remotely interested in, in this is start getting into some of the uh, groups out there that you can get newsletters, you can um, kind of look at what research that they have out there for this field. So there is a free membership to the AARV, which stands for the American Association of Veter- or Rehab Rehabilitation Veterinarians. So if you're a student, you get a free membership and nice. their membership, I think is like $45 for the year. But you can get updates, access to journal articles. There's a monthly Mm. newsletter. I was the RVT liaison for three years. And uh, it's a a very, very good organization. What I appreciate immensely about this group is even though it says veterinarians, they are so pro-vet techs, which there Mm. are are groups out there that are like, okay, you're vet techs. But they are constantly working with veterinary technicians. I really yeah. appreciate that about this group. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think with, with rehab specifically, I mean, it's so labor intensive, um, that it, it having at least two people. So the veterinarian and the technician is huge. Um, so I can, I can imagine they do rely on their technicians probably more than some. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So kind of what the physical rehab can do is pre and post surgeries. Frequently, they will be non-weight bearing and have reduced use of limbs. So we can come in there and help them get to a little bit more weight bearing stage, improve strength, conditioning, and function of the joints and muscles. And we can increase the range of motion beyond mm. what's doing that passive range of motion. So there's two mm. kinds of range of motion. There's active and passive. So the passive range of motion is what we would be doing in a clinic after surgery or the geriatric patient. But we can also teach them how to do active range of motion because sometimes an animal gets to a point where they're like, you're not touching this. Um, in the words of MC Hammer, <laughs> can't touch this. Okay, sorry, I, <laughs> I digress. I think Jordan's like, who? It's fine, oh, Sandy, I got you. I okay, got you. thank Not you. Not true, I know who MC Hammer is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what's cool is 
I can go off on so many tangents with this. But <laughs> what's cool about this is you, if you're creative, you can do so much in this field because it's not just about having exercises and then you take them through that. It's like, okay, I have a cat here who just had an FHO. How do I get them to move? How do I get them to use that leg? Well, let's have them do a limbo so that they have to crouch. And guess what? Now you have to use that leg. Ha ha. So you mm. think outside of the box or how can I get them to move across the gym? Well, if I put their carrier at the other end of the gym, they want to go in their carrier. Guess what? I now got you to walk across the gym. So you can be creative and get them to do things. And then at the end of the day, you're like patting yourself on the back because you, you got an animal to do something. And especially those challenging ones like a cat who. Mm. They do what they want to do when they want to do it. Yes. Because <laughs> we are there for them. Yeah. <laughs> The one thing that rehab can do is positively 110% influence recovery and healing and yes, pain reduction for mm. these patients. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, one of the facilities close to me, um, has rehab and, uh, I picked up a couple of shifts and it was super cool. Like I knew nothing. I'm like, I will, I will do what you tell me to do. But seeing the, the change in the animals, like during the sessions, like it was really cool. Oh my gosh. Um, and especially post-surgery, like the owners would even tell us, oh, he's so much better after his session and, you know, moving more and, and doesn't, isn't guarding the leg or, you know, whatever it is. And, and I think that part's really, really fit you know, exciting to see when, when you, when you get to see it, right? Like exactly. that's the whole part. Exactly. I have stories of dogs. Like there's a Corgi that comes to mind that on the surgery side, they had to muzzle the dog. And when mm. the dog came over for rehab, the owner was like, do you want me to put the muzzle on? And I said, actually, I would prefer not to, I'm going to work with that dog I'm going to do things that he feels comfortable with. And within three weeks, no lie, that dog was running to the rehab room and he's like, let me in, let me in. I want to do stuff because number one, I tell them, I tell the dog, I'm not going to stick any thermometers in your butt. I'm not going to poke you with any needles. So we're already (laughs) off to a good start. I'm going to give you treats. Maybe if, you know, if it's, if it's okay, and I'm going to make you feel good by the end. So yeah. it's a win-win. And I can do hands-on, hands-off. If if the animal is a little bitey, I will talk to the owner and they're going to be my hands. And mm. I, I have only in all my years had to put a muzzle on one dog. Oh, wow. Other than that, I, and it's not even the fear-free method, it's the Sandy method. (laughs) (laughs) But it, I would think that just, it is, um, it does incorporate a lot of that fear-free idea, right? That you pay attention to the animal, ask kind of not ask permission, but like, you know, don't push them. (laughs) Like you're pushing them a little bit physically, but you're hopefully not going to push them emotionally, which is, 
usually where the problems come in, but, but yeah. And I, and I've definitely seen that where the, the, the patients that have done a couple of sessions for rehab, they're always really excited to get to the rehab room. (laughs) They're like, yes, (laughs) I'm going to rehab. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty cool. (laughs) There's a group of people that are going to contribute to the whole healing process or the, the rehab department. Some places might have these, some might not, but of course the veterinarian, you might have a referring veterinarian. You can have a veterinarian specialist. You have the RVT or the veterinary technician. You can have a physical therapist. You can have a veterinary assistant that's helping you because you have that down dog and you need that extra set of hands, a nutritionist, acupuncturist, and then that chiropractic or that veterinary orthopedic manipulation uh, Mm. certified veterinarian. That's pretty cool. Beyond like the pre and post surgery, we can also help with wounds. We can help the critically injured, the orthopedic patient, which you could guess, and the neurological patient, which is also something that I'm sure you don't even have to think about. And then we can Mm. also help the obese patient and Mm. think about all the stress through the joints and all of the internal um, organs and the systems that are going on and uh, internal medicine, you're like, yes, yes, we know about this. (laughs) So cardiopulmonary disease, hypertension, dyslipidemia, so elevated cholesterol and lipid levels, insulin resistance, longevity, urethral sphincter mechanism incompetence. In young dogs, we can help uh, developmental disorders. So we can Mm. address all of these that people don't think about. It's not just an overweight patient. It's let's talk about everything that could go on with this patient. Right. Right. And again, near and dear to my heart (laughs) are the geriatric patients. They're going to have the sensory deficits. Not that you're going to help them hear, hear better, but if they feel better, maybe it can help other things. They're going to have mm. gait disturbances and we can do things to help get them to be able have a little bit more gait symmetry, mental health. So cognitive, get them stimulated, sleep changes, pain, uh, fecal incontinence, neurological changes, muscle mass loss, decreased mobility, and I can take any one of these topics and just take off with it and talk for a long time, but I won't. <laughs> I was like, Sandy, I might be talking to you after we were done recording, just saying. <laughs> there is the canine athlete, which we don't think about, or the working dog. Mm. And I, whenever I hear people that do agility, my hackles go up because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they're the ones that have the uh, toes that got jammed or Mm. the very detailed, nonspecific injuries. And I'm like, no, don't do that to your dog. (laughs) Use canine freestyle dancing or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Or, Or the fly ball. I'm just like, no. 
Uh, and of course the working dogs, we've got the canine unit dogs, uh, the, the therapy, the uh, assistance dogs. So they're gonna have a lot of stress put on their shoulders, bicep tendons, iliopsoas, sesamoid bones, hips, and so much more that we, mm. we forget about. I, I, and it's funny because it's funny that we forget about that because I picture like the baseball player or the football player exactly. and they always have a physical therapist that they work with, but we don't exactly. think about it with dogs and horses and, and all that. So crazy. Exactly. <sighs> so you can and I have this. to say, I was going to say, it's funny that you said, um, dancing, the, the, the dog dancing, this yes. is really random and off. I mean, it's on subject, but it's not on subject at all. Um, I just watched something on Netflix called we are the champions or something like that. And they have this whole episode about competitive dog dancing. I recommend watching it just because it's, it's one of those, you're like, this is a thing, but yes. sorry. I, just- yes. <laughs> I used to do that with my dog. We had so <laughs> much fun. We had so much fun. I mean, it makes sense. Cause like watching that episode, I was like, wow, it definitely, if you've got a dog that needs that mental stimulation, I can tell, I can see that that is like a really good way of <laughs> not having the crazy agility. Cause some of those agility dogs, they do come in with crazy injuries and, and then, you know, the surgery department seeing them, but you know, that's a whole other oh, thing. The stress, yeah. <laughs> And you think about the assistance dogs that have the Mm -hmm. harnesses on them um, for the visually impaired, the weight of those harnesses. I think I weighed one one time and it was 20 pounds. Oh my gosh, the stress on their back. And then they're always on the same side. So there's a pull that constantly goes to one side. So you put a 20 pound pack on your back and have somebody constantly tugging you um, because they're trying to find out, you know, where they're at, you're right. going to end up with a lot of com- compensatory issues. That just makes my neck and my, my shoulders tense up thinking right? about it. Right. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, <laughs> yes. Kinesiology is an important part of this. So if you like the anatomy part, you will love doing the rehab. Uh, that's, something that just amazes me. And I, I love being a, a detective and looking at an animal and trying to solve issues. And I'm telling you, I have figured out things that the veterinary wasn't able to do. And mm. all you need is your hands and your eyes to mm. figure th- these mysteries out. Nice. Huh? I, I wish you guys could see this. It's, it's adorable. <laughs> so we're, we're looking at some of Sandy's notes and it's a tiny little piglet eating an ice cream cone. And I may have to share it. So <laughs> under, under an umbrella at a picnic table, <laughs> let's add that. <laughs> right. Um, I believe what your point was is know what is normal. So you can identify abnormal. I'm pretty sure an adorable little piglet eating an ice cream cone is abnormal, <laughs> but it should be more normal. <laughs> right. It should be on every well, street corner. <laughs> exactly. And I think this is something that Jordan and I talk about in a lot of our episodes is, you know, one of the reasons we talk about these, these different subjects is 
if you know what normal is, right, you train your brain to be able to see normal, then you can start picking up on those abnormal things. And, and what you're saying is like the touching part, right? I think we forget sometimes <laughs> laying hands, uh, but putting your hands on an animal and just yeah. feeling what normal is. And then, you know, if you're running your hands on something, you're like, oh, what's, what is that? you right. And, and trust your, your senses, which we don't always do. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you feel something without looking at it, your sense of touch is so heightened that you are so much more in tune to what is going on with that, that body. And for mm. you guys, I'm sure like you can palpate and you can, you know, maybe feel the, the kidney or the liver is different, or there's, um, you know, the abdomen is more tense. It goes with anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately we want to observe the patient. We're going to perform prescribed therapeutic modalities from the veterinarian, provide home exercises. This is so key because it's not enough to have them come in once or twice a week, depending on um, what they're doing. But Mm -hmm. if they can do things at home, it just accelerates their progress immensely. And we're going to act as an advocate for these patients, whether it's in clinic or when they go home, because we want them to get better. And we're going to tell them, okay, this is what you need to do for nutrition, or you really don't need to have 15 supplements that you're giving your pet because (laughs) they're not appropriate. Oh, (laughs) preach. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. And I think one thing that, that, is important to know when, cause you talked about providing those home exercises. Um, especially if we're not in one of the, the rehab facilities, right. And maybe we're recommending to go to a rehab facility. If there's at least some thing that, that we can tell the clients to get them at least going before they get to those appointments. Cause I know, especially around me, like a a rehab appointment is it's, it's a long wait time to get a consult. So, you know, you, you don't want to miss that opportunity to like start up on things. So understanding some of the things that we can, you know, or our, our doctors, but we talk to our clients, like, when I say we recommend, I mean the veterinary hospital, (laughs) you know, we recommend some things they can do in the meantime to at least not make things worse. Cause it is true. Like if we sit on some things, it definitely is worse long-term. So. Right. Exactly. We can look at their gait and this is something that you guys can do too, especially uh, when you get more um, proficient and you're looking at things with a different lens you can walk, you can watch a dog walk in the clinic or a cat, however it's postured. And you're like, okay, mm. that is a shoulder issue. That is a, an ankle issue or something like that. So knowing the anatomy, it's going to be uh, really helpful because you can feel those tight muscles. You can note the trigger points that you're touching an area and you've got these little fasciculations that go along the spine because you're touching it. And it's just like this ripple effect. And you're like, okay, Mm. that doesn't feel good to you. We can look at range of motion, whether they are actively moving or you're taking them through the the motion. 
functional activity, how they they walk across the gym, how they step over something. <clears throat> There's definitely things that you can change in the house to help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make sure that they don't have wood floors around the house. And you're like, so I'm telling you, I when I see <laughs> animals come in, um, I can palpate and I can feel the iliopsoas, um, you know, cranial thigh muscle. And I will ask them, do you have uh, carpeting or do you have hardwood floors? And they'll say hardwood floors. And in my head, I know that's what they're going to say because mm. that poor dog is slipping on the floor all the time. And their muscles are just so tense because they're trying to prevent themselves from sliding. And it's like, mm. all you need to do is put down some yoga mats or whatever. It's not going to be very feng shui, but it's going to help your, your pet. Hmm. Brilliant. I might have to take some of these notes with me. Now, are those um, the cases done. though where like massage therapy would help? Cause if their muscles are so tight. Oh my gosh. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So an, an, another um, story, I've got so many stories. <laughs> there was a, a dog that had a lot of uh, tight muscles and I went through the list. Like there were five main spots to massage and I show the owners how to do it. Um, very simplified version of it. And they came back the next week and I'm going through and I'm like, this feels better. This feels better. And I said, this one still is tight. And they're like, oh yeah, we forgot to massage that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So you, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference to have that massage in there. And it, I mean, your hands get so in tune with things that I remember, um, how it felt the week before or the session before or something. So yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. There's simple things as shaking the water off their back. And sometimes I'll actually do this to see how their spine moves because if they're trying to shake water off, it should have this nice ripple effect along the spine. Mm-hmm. And if there's a movement in just the lumbar and not in the thoracic, I'm like, mm, that's something we need to work on. So there's really mm. actually simple ways to figure these out. That's so cool. It's, it's really cool. So we look at the gates, watch them walk, watch them turn. I will videotape things and get it viewed from all different angles. And then I'll go in slow motion. I'm like, oh, there's a little lag with that leg or something like that. Hmm. And in a a facility, you can have a lot of equipment. Um, I have done rehab in literally an exam room because Mm -hmm. that's all I had. But you know what? I make it work. And (laughs) they can walk over cones uh, or poles with cones. And with owners, I say, you know what? Just grab some broomsticks and lay them on the ground. And those are your poles that you walk over or throw some couch cushions on the floor and have it uneven surfaces that they walk over. So I can figure Mm -hmm. out anything uh, that they can use at home to have them do these exercises. That's really cool. And you can get some facilities that have much more from a pool to an underwater treadmill, um, all different kinds of things that Mm. are part of that. Klein education is so <laughs> huge. Uh, I found this this little 
um, study that links periodontal disease with development of Alzheimer's disease in people. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they're looking at it with, with dogs that there's a, the oral dysbiosis, which leads to disruption of the blood brain barrier. So there's mm. pathogens that are induced into the, the brain that can dam damage it and accumulate as neurotoxins. So they're actually looking at this and comparing it in canines to see if there's a comparison with periodontal disease and cognitive dysfunction. What? Is that That's cool? Crazy. That's really cool. So brush their teeth. <laughs> right? <laughs> so there's so many things that we can look at. Um, looking at muscle atrophy, if they have um, muscle loss in their head, so the eyes and are sunken. We can look at bony prominences to see if there's um, fluid swelling, long nails, um, like I mentioned, mm. spinal movement changes. And there's always the other critters too, <clears throat> rabbits, turtles. Like I said, I'm working with a goat. Um, I've worked with chickens. Anybody can use rehab. <laughs> <laughs> My statement that I really like is any, I'm sorry, every animal deserves to live the best quality of life for the longest possible time, period, exclamation point. Yeah. And I, and I think, cause you mentioned it kind of in the beginning, I see a ton of older, like geriatric patients in, you know, the primary vets like, well, it's a quality of life thing. And it's like, well, we, we, there's so many options between yeah. where you're at now and, and, and end of life. And, and I think clients, you know, it's, it's not that the clients are malicious about it. They just don't know. And I think that's where we can definitely help with that is, um, give them the options and let them decide, you know, if, if they want to, try to go to a physical rehab facility or, you know, if they, if they feel like doing those rehab exercises at home. And I think, um, you know, giving that, that option is huge. Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, one thing to consider too, is their vision when they come into mm. the clinic, we can be conscious of corners and doorways and steps instead of just hurriedly getting them back <laughs> to the treatment area and they, they just might not be able to see and take the time to work with them. Mm. Take the time to take that old cat out of the carrier. Make sure that it's on a soft surface, not just on the hard metal table. Right. Yeah. I like this uh, statement from Leon Bernard. Medicine should be practiced as a form of friendship. Isn't like that great? That. I love that. It's nice because it is, um, I think if we could take the fear out of the exam too, you can see more of what's going on, right? Like you can see right. if they're guarding something because it's painful versus are yeah. they guarding because we've just scared them. Um, exactly. so yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the things, you know, to consider, and you guys, I'm sure go into this with internal medicine is mm. about, um, murmurs in, in dogs and approximately 60% of dogs have over the age of five years have murmurs. So Crazy. we're not just looking at an older patient, but what are some things that we might need to consider, but we can absolutely make them feel better on another side of it. Cause with veterinary medicine, we all come together. 
you know, we have the, the mm-hmm. cardiologist, we have, um, everything, everybody comes together. We worked as a team. Yeah, definitely. There's mm. the WSAVA.org, which is an excellent site that talks about bone health versus muscle health. And I would really encourage you guys to look for this and, We are so into looking at body conditioning scores that Mm. we miss a very, very important part of looking at um, muscle loss, muscle health. And muscles exert a loading force on the bones, which helps maintain the density and shape of it. So if we don't Mm. have the muscles, we don't have that loading force on the bones. And then it becomes a whole uh, domino effect that Mm. we're not going to be moving well. Yeah. And I think, um, it is good. Like when we talk about physical exam and notating it in our records, like the body condition score is super important, but the, it, it's also the muscle condition score. Cause there is a muscle condition exactly. scoring chart and it's very simple to look at. And just like with the body condition score and just note it in, in the medical record. Yes. And I highly recommend you guys, including that in your exams and mm. remember it's not just the veterinarian that can do these exams. You guys can do it. While you're waiting for the veterinarian to come, you can pull out your, your scoring there and give them a score. Right? Just like you, <laughs> yes, just like you can do the pain scoring scales and we know a number of them out there. There's Colorado State, um, AVMA has great scoring scales that you can look mm-hmm. at face body posture. Yeah. I know we've talked about the, um, feline grimace score and like they have the new app that, that you can use or clients can use, um, which is great. And then definitely we've talked about Colorado pain scores for sure. Um, those are very important. Something to note is effects of pain are cumulative resulting in progressive deterioration which means for every one day of disuse, it takes three days to gain that back. And I always reiterate this because it's such an important thing to think about. For every one day of disuse, they're not using something, it takes three days to gain that back. Mm. So think about our patients that are recumbent. Gotta get them moving. It doesn't mean Mm. you have to get them up, but do that passive range of motion get the lymphatic system going, get the circulation, Mm -hmm. get them moving, get them back. Otherwise they're, they're going to have, uh, here's a pun here. They're going to have more (laughs) hurdles to overcome. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's a a rehab pun. If we've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about statements because I think they resonate with people. Because any of us can be up here and and just say these things. But think about when an animal feels like they're in pain. They think they are in pain forever. They Mm. don't understand that they just had some kind of surgery or they're on medication or whatever. They just only know that they're in pain and they're going to be in pain forever. So they will compensate and do whatever it takes to not show they're in pain. Mm. And it's important for us to educate clients to tell them, okay, yes, it looks like you're 
your animal isn't in pain, but you know what? They just had major surgery. They're going to be in pain, but it's their mm. job to show that they're not in pain. So they will compensate. And so many times when I take a video of animals and I go in slow motion, I'll say, look at what this animal is doing. That's a sign of pain. And they're like, oh, I had no idea. And I'm like, yeah. that's why you came to me because I'm going to help you understand that. And my, my line as dogs are walking out of the, the, the rehab room are, are always like, okay, stay strong. You got four legs, use them all. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I always like to comment about is nails mm. that are long, it changes the angle of their foot. So instead yeah. of being uh, at a level where you've got the space between the nail and the floor, if they're long, it shifts the feet back to accommodate that long nail. So guess what? That animal thinks it's going uphill all the time. You have now transferred mm. the weight to be more on the back legs. And if you have an arthritic dog with bad hips, holy cow, that makes it worse. So mm. wherever you're at in a clinic, trim those nails, make sure that they are an appropriate length. Yeah. And I've also, I know that like, especially, um, especially your geriatric animals, right. It, it causes actually more arthritis in the, in the foot joints with that pressure. And, and, and like, you know, it's, it's important for us to remember, and we've all seen those cats come in that their nails are just really, really long because they're not scratching appropriately. And so the sheath isn't coming off and, and that's, you know, it's frustrating for us because we're like, please trim your animals nails at home. But, you know, that's also part of client education is yeah, it's not just annoying, but there are physical changes that can happen if, if, they have those long nails for too long. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's things that you can do. There's Bugsby toe grips that are these mm. like widened rubber band that goes around the toe so that when they stand up, it helps to give them a little bit of traction. Those are nice mm. and easy to apply. I always look at the feet and if the toes are flat, instead of having that angle to the digits. If they're flat, mm. sometimes that's the cartilage that's breaking down in those toes. So my mind is thinking that we're going to have to do some exercises to maybe help um, get those, those, that circulation in there going or, or know that we're going to have some different weight compensation or gait changes. Hmm. Hmm. And I'm always going to talk mm. about, look at the bottoms of the pads Right. Where, whether you're a dog, cat, rabbit, anything that you don't want that hair to be so long that it's over the pads of the feet because then they can't get traction. Right. And I, when my dogs come out of surgery, I like to look at the nails and trim the hair on the pads. If they just had some kind of mm. surgery neurological, I want to give them every advantage to get the right foot forward in recovery. There is another one for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's actually, that's a really important point is if you've got an animal with some sort of 
limb injury or surgery, um, you know, if, if they are fluffy, I, I, I didn't think to do that. Like, I don't think, oh, I need to trim the fur off of it, but it totally makes sense. Cause it's like, do you want a post-op patient running around in socks or do you want them running around in shoes? Like, right, which right. one do you want? <laughs> and we can do this. We can do this. You don't need to be certified. Right. It. <laughs> yeah. I always talk about home care. Don't let the dogs or even be careful of cats. There's a point where they're all arthritic. So the yeah. less that they're jumping and putting the impact on the joints, the better they're going to feel. So stairs, ramps, harnesses, raise a food bowl. And my analogy for this is having good posture at the dinner table. So when they're standing, <laughs> have the food bowl raised at between elbow and shoulder height, because then that gives them a nice neutral spine and mm. they're, they're going to have uh, work on that muscle just for that short period of time where we're not pushing them or nudging them to do something. And they're not thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm standing up straight. So right. I, I love that phrase and it resonates with people as well. Yeah. Um, and I've seen, there's a lot of different choices for harnesses. Um, the, I, I, we use one, it's called the help them up harness. That's what yes. we have in our clinic. It's, it's not cheap. <laughs> so I warn clients about it, but it, it, the way that it works is so great. And it's a, a harness that's both on the front and the back end. Cause sometimes you need help moving one or the other. Um, but there's, there's ways that clients can, you know, if they can't afford like the more expensive harnesses, they can help lift if needed. Yes. I mean, there's ways that you can sort of modify it to, to fill those needs of those people that can't afford it, but absolutely. And I, I recommend every clinic to have one of each size in there because if you have that mm. down patient, slap that harness on them so that you can assist them going out for potty breaks. Um, yeah. Then afterwards you throw it in the wash and it's good. It's going to save your back and <laughs> yeah. owners, it saves their back. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and that's one of, that's actually really important to bring up too, is like, you can, you can talk to your doctors or your practice owners and be like, it's an OSHA thing, right? Like yes. let's save our technicians by providing right. appropriate ways of moving our patients. Yeah. Kind of make them feel guilty too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, there, like I said, there are so many things that I can talk about. Uh, I'm just doing a brief summary, but there's modalities that we can do massage again anybody can do that just learn how to do it correctly passive range of motion learn how to do it correctly there's land exercises walking over poles doing weaves things like that we can do ultrasound shockwave therapy the hydrotherapy which is essentially underwater treadmill walking mm. in water or we can have them swim if it's appropriate for them there's hyperbaric oxygen therapy there's PEMF, which is pulse electric magnetic field. And there's mm. something right now that is very popular, easy to have any clinic 
uh, prescribe. It's this loop that really helps promote healing. And there's so much research out there. Uh, I actually use it for the exotic clinic that I work at. I just sent one home with a, a gecko that was being arthritic and you just, it's a loop. It's a circular loop that you turn it on. It stays on for 15 minutes and it really makes a difference. I've used it on myself. It's the only FDA approved non-pharmaceutical device. Is it, is it in a CC loop? It's the CC loop. Exactly. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> we yes. talked about that in one of our episodes and I was like, I don't know what it is, but it's this loop that. <laughs> <It's magic>. Yes. <laughs> so, um, again, no passive range of motion, how to do it properly. You will be such a valuable asset to your clinic. If you can do Yeah, this. We'll have to, we'll have to figure out a way to, uh, do something with passive range of motion. Cause I like it. I think it's important. So I like it. <laughs> Having a treadmill at home. Yes. And I've done mm. therapy for cats. Again, you just have to be creative. I have gotten them in the underwater treadmill. Do they like it? Mm, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just picture my cat just like losing his mind. <laughs> Funny story. I was working with a cat that was overweight and the owner couldn't do anything at home. So she was bringing Rachel, I remember her name, um, a gray cat. Rachel was coming in twice a week, was doing the underwater treadmill. We started with five minutes and we built up to 20 minute intervals. And wow. the, um, the owner knew the cat had lost the appropriate weight when she could crawl under the one cabinet. It was like, okay, <laughs> you met your goal weight. <laughs> Oh my, it's like a pair of pants, but you're like the cabinet. <laughs> so tons of different exercises that we can do. And, uh, you don't need a whole lot. Actually, you, if you have your hands and you're creative, you can do most things. 40% of the clinics have the photobiomodulation, which is the cold laser. And again, mm. that's going to help decrease the pain increases endorphin production. Um, normalization of the nerve action potential. It helps block uh, the nerve cells. So it reduces the pain. It helps decrease the dilation of the vessels. Simply it's, we call it the magic wand at work yeah. because we've done it on ourselves. And afterwards we're like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. And mm. the animals feel the same thing. It's an expensive piece of equipment, but it will absolutely reap the benefits in many yeah, ways. I feel like I've heard of a lot of, um, even private or, uh, general practices will have the, the laser. So yes, there's neuromuscular electrical stimulation and tens units, which, um, mm. they either will help to increase the muscle conductivity, increase muscle mass sort of, because we're working on, um, constant contraction. It's like doing a bicep curl with many repetitions. Mm. And then the TENS unit helps with pain control. There's hmm. advantages and disadvantages to using the underwater treadmill versus swimming. Um, and that, that can be for another time, but those um, can be in my notes and you can look at that. Hyperbaric oxygen chamber absolutely helps um, with neurological conditions, 
Um, mm-hmm. There's not too many places that have that, but there are places out there. The best piece of equipment that you can have is your hands. You can learn what feels abnormal. Uh, just feel animals whenever you can feel for any areas that might be warmer because that could be a sign of inflammation or overuse. Mm. The very first thing that I do for every patient is I run my hand along their back. So not only does it calm them down, but it's like my, my little heat meter. And oftentimes (laughs) I will feel at the lumbosacral area or the uh, thoracic lumbar junction that those areas Mm. are warmer because they're compensating. Hmm. My hands are not that sensitive, <laughs> but they can be, they can be, <laughs> you gotta work up to it. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the, um, there's a number of books out there. Um, and we have a number of, uh, VTSs that have books that they've written or co-authored, um, kind of one that comes to the top of my head is the one by Daryl Millis and David Levin, uh, Canine Physical, I'm sorry, Canine Rehabilitation and Physical Therapy. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the Bible, um, but I, I could give a list of them that are <laughs> out there with um, co-authors of people in the field with VTSs. Yeah, it's awesome. So hopefully this gave a little bit of an overview insight into the rehab world. And there are absolutely things that you can do, whatever area that you're in, uh, even if it's equine, large animal medicine, exotics, there's rehab for everyone. And I'm more than happy to answer any questions and look at websites to get a little bit more information. Yeah, definitely. And um, this is really cool because you talked about it previously. Um, if you're a student or you are part of a, a vet tech program, um, reach out to Sandy because she is more than willing to speak with the class, um, with your school and go over rehab. Because again, there's only 19 of you. <laughs> and so yeah. reaching, reaching out to get more, um, more awareness out there, because I, I think, Again, you kind of mentioned it with insurance, you know, I think this is like an area that is obviously growing and I think there's so much more potential, uh, and, and it's definitely, it's definitely rewarding as a technician to work with rehab. I mean, you, you develop those patients, um, you know, the bonds with your patients and see them getting better and your clients love you, I'm sure. (laughs) So I love that. Uh, is there anything else we, uh, need to know about you? Any other resources you want to share? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I know there is some, you know how you, you get where something is just so normal that it's not in the front of your brain because it's it's just my everyday life. I don't know. Right. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. So true. (laughs) Cool. Jordan, any, any questions you got? Nope. 
cover no we covered we covered a lot that's gonna be about like a good hour and a half (laughs) i know i was like i was like excited because i'm like this this is so much better than what we would have covered (laughs) definitely (laughs) i told you guys i can talk and talk i it's hard to talk thank you so much thank you so much i really enjoyed this i'm glad that this worked out yeah, yeah me I'm too. very excited that we we it just serendipitously ended up happening and I'm really again super thankful that you at the last minute was like sure I'll come come talk to you guys about rehab <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and uh definitely if you guys have questions we'll we'll have um Sandy's contact information in the show notes or if for some reason um, you can't see that wherever you're listening, definitely reach out to us and we can get you in touch with Sandy um, and, and just, you know, forward that information. So um, thank you, Sandy. And then, um, you know, shout out to your students. Hey. <laughs> All right, guys, well, have a wonderful week. Um, we hope you can take a little piece of this rehab episode back to your clinic and maybe just incorporate a little bit in and, um, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye Sandy. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.